Hey, it's Aldwin. And I'm Jason. This is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. We put our shit together so that we can entertain you. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Come back to life, Dick Edward. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? I think I feel like it's another ass comment, but Jason Jason just called you on your bluff and you, you came back and you called us an albatross? I don't know what that is. Do you know what this is? It's called entertainment in all caps. Time. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. Jason here. And Aldwin's back. What <laughs> a surprise, Kel Surprise. I missed all of you. I missed you, Jason, but you killed it for the last four episodes. Everyone give Jay a round of applause. Woo! Clap, clap, as it were. I mean, we have to ask our listeners if that's true or not, but... <laughs> I tried my best. I tried to cover all of the things, so many things, <laughs> as you know, even though you were sort of, you had to duck out. Yeah. I mean, I tried to poke my head uh, and just see what was going on. And there were just so many things, so many topics, so much juicy news to cover. But just to reiterate, girl, you held down the fort. So job well done. I did try my best. I know you wanted to say a little bit about why you were gone so I'm gonna give, <laughs> give you the floor well I um, unfortunately lost my dad a couple weeks ago and uh, you know fun not funny but <laughs> my grandmother also passed so my dad's mother passed three days after he did and uh, obviously it was a difficult time for my family and um, just want to say that the reason why I played tennis to begin with was because of my dad. I remember in elementary school, he took me to Canadian Tire, which is like, um, you know, like a sporting goods, home goods kind of store here in Canada. And he bought me my first aluminum Dunlop racket. <laughs> <laughs> and I will never forget my first can of orange pen tennis balls. Took me to my school um, at like 3.30 p.m. and I started hitting against the wall pretending that my opponent was Steffi and it's all because of him. So this episode for me is a bit of like a tribute to my dad. So, hey dad, hope you're doing well up there in heaven. That's very nice. I have to say Canadian Tire has never sold good tennis balls or rackets. (laughs) (laughs) Canadian Tire, get on that buying, like someone changed the buyer for the sporting goods. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Never shall they be a sponsor of our show for for this particular segment, unless they also liked your dad. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> your dad was in a, a an athlete also. He played basketball, right? Yeah, dad was a pro basketball player in the Philippines. That's I had... crazy. I don't even think I knew that. Like, I kind of knew the basketball angle, but I didn't know until I w- attended the <clears throat> the service about the the proness yeah he was um i mean he was a he was an excellent basketball player and he had um athletic dreams for his firstborn son i had like a a basketball mobile in my crib (laughs) and um you know just basketball was not my thing it wasn't the my ball of choice so (laughs) tennis became my ball of choice and testicles but right (laughs) 
that was also not his balls of choice for you, I don't think. But Definitely not. He overcame. He overcame. I did. Yeah. I did. Well, we're glad you're back and sending our best to your family, obviously. Oh, thank you. Thank you. There were other boys who had dreams that we're going to talk about a little bit later, and their dreams are not the same as yours because they're... <laughs> <laughs> they're squashed apparently um but because you are back and because you are hip to the beat of the ladies <laughs> of the wta we should talk about the ladies first yeah did you have any doubt that Barty was going to win the tournament like would she have been your pick if you were tuned in the way you could have been if if you know, the stuff didn't go down that you had to deal with. You know, we've been doing this podcast for, we're coming up on our two year anniversary. You know that, right? Like in May. Yeah. And for as long as we've covered tennis and for as intensely as we covered tennis over the past two years, I have to say, I have never chosen Barty as like my pre tournament fave to win. So although she was the number one seed, Sorry, Ash, you were not my my pick. Um, you know, when we were doing our kind of last few episodes of 2021, we covered the WTA finals. Mugu was on fire. And the girl that shall remain nameless, who we can start naming her again because she lost second round. <laughs> <laughs> Annette Contavite. <laughs> she was my pick. I thought she was going to I thought she was going to make her debut and become a Grand Slam champion. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I I'm hearkening back to I'm trying to remember which Grand Slam it was last year. It must have been the US Open where you were hot to trot on a particular <laughs> animal who you thought was going to take the whole damn thing and she ended up making the final this year at the Australian Open. Ah, uh, I know. I know. See, okay. I mean Danielle is a girl that I am obsessed with. Everyone knows I am obsessed with her. Her big braid, her spunky attitude, her fiery on-court demeanor. Just because she hasn't had the results and gone deep in the slam, I didn't choose her for this. But to be honest with you, it's not a surprise that she made her first Grand Slam final. Knowing that she made the semis a couple years ago, she loves Australia. So to see her in the final drove me bonkers. I love it. I love her. I want her backhand so badly. <laughs> I will I will try to figure out how to move to a two-handed backhand just so I can have it. <laughs> it is ferocious. I know. I know. Um you know, what my question for you was like who did who were you I can't remember. I'm sorry from the previous episode that you did. <laughs> who were your who were your faves? Um guys, we just learned. <laughs> Alderman didn't listen to. Alderman I forgot. Didn't to my solo I, I forgot. I mean, I'm I, sure so... one of them was definitely not Kanepi. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but she impressed too. We're going to talk about her in a second. I picked Barty to win. Ah, I did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, the... yeah. If I pull up my brackets, so I did this whole, you know, bracketing again. I, you know. Everyone was looking forward to that Osaka Barty fourth mm. round. Yeah, D- didn't happen. But I picked Barty to to go through there. 
Yeah, I had Barty winning the whole thing, and my my final was Barty versus Kerber. <laughs> well, you got like the top half of the draw one hundred percent correct, and the bottom half zero percent correct. <laughs> yeah, Kerber, <laughs> like, Kerber was was to me as Contavite was for you. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's just so inconsistent, but you know what? You are. I, I do have to kind of share this with our listeners at home. Although Jason historically, it's it's easy to choose the number one and the number two player to meet in the final. <laughs> I mean, don't think that it's a cop out whenever Jason does that because he does that pretty frequently. <laughs> I picked the number one woman's player and the number two men's player. <laughs> you know, it's not a cop out. He, I, I have the evidence. He has these very elaborate draws. He has a very good understanding of the players and how they match up with each other. So, yes, we have a tennis podcast. <laughs> and we've been covering it for two years. He is knowledgeable and an expert. So all you tennis channels out there, it's not a cop-out that he chooses, like, the number one and number two seeds for the final. <laughs> I mean, this is legit. All, what Alduin's saying is very legit because... Yeah. If you look at my chart here, I picked Dimanur to make the fourth round, and he doth do that. So, ah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yes, I did pick Barty. Was surprised, obviously, with Collins until I saw her match against Mertens, and then I was mm. like, "This girl means business." That match was amazing. Yes, it was amazing. Mertens was pissed. <laughs> Did you see her reaction at the end? She yeah. was pissed. And it's funny because didn't we come for Mertens last year? She was spending too much time on the on the doubles court with Shay. We're like, girl, you're a former top 10 player. Like, you're spending all of 2021 focusing on your doubles. Like, get back into the singles groove. And she definitely did that. Mm-hmm. And she was so close to winning that match but again as we like to say on the show that match was literally a point here or there yeah yeah so what else would you like to say about danimal making the final um you know what okay i don't know whether you noticed but a lot of people on our ig and on our facebook um hi new followers by the way um they were asking us about our opinion on danielle's on-court demeanor and behavior it's no secret that she likes to um give more than a couple of come-ons during a match (laughs) (laughs) perhaps in her kind of um debutante years on the wta she would do that obnoxiously so like a come-on for a double fault i don't know i don't no one come for me i don't know whether that she actually did that or not but you know she did have a reputation for saying come-ons at inappropriate times I found that her performance this Grand Slam was a little bit more subdued and the come-ons came at very appropriate times and I felt like she channeled that fiery, red-blooded American energy in the right way. Don't you think? I love watching her. I love (laughs) when the come-ons come and she turns to her box and she's like... Let's F and go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's like, you can tell it's visceral, her reaction. It's genuine. She's got that RBF Mm. in the match 
we know what that stands for. <laughs> but she, it's just the intensity that she brings. Mm. You know, she brings it to the handshake at the end of the match too. <laughs> like she's not very sort of warm in in that um, in and even in the sort of post match moments. I think you know she was with certain opponents, um, but her um, interview or post match speech in the final was lovely. Yes, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I think when you see someone perform on a court, you sometimes have this idea of who they are in their regular day-to-day life. Yeah. Like just because she's fiery and spunky and maybe says, come on at inappropriate times, you might imagine her to be some kind of bitch off the court, but her, yeah, like you said, her um, finalist speech just showed that she had a big heart. She has a team that supported her, um, a cute boyfriend with long hair. Um <laughs> And I don't know. I'm all here for her. She had a couple close calls. I mean, she she beat um, who did she beat in three sets? There she beat Mertens, and then in the round before, she had a close one with I forget who now. She had a couple of three uh, three set matches matches earlier on, but then oh yeah, and then she had a three set match against Kanepi, who is a girl obviously that you've lo- loved before, but Shviantek in the semis was a big surprise for me Mm. because Shriantek was playing so well. Again, another girl that we roasted for being, for spending too much time on the doubles court. Right. Yeah. And then here she is in the first grand slam, making it all the way to the semifinals. But Danielle dusted her four and one dusted (laughs) done and dusted. And she was up five, one against Barty in that second set. Okay. So question for you, like when you watched the women's final, what was your kind of, what was like the key to that match? Why was it that Barty was able to? It listen. It wasn't a, an easy match by any stretch. It wasn't a three set match either. But what mm. do you think were the keys to her win? I think somehow at five one down in the second set, she Barty was mm. just started re- relaxing more for some mm. reason. And I don't know how you do that when you're at your home slam. <laughs> so much is on the line. And, you know, you've moved comfortably through the rest of the field in your first six matches, like not losing more than four games, some matches not losing three games in the entire match. Yeah, I, you know, I I said this on the reel that we posted on our IG, you know, Danielle's forehand and backhand are fierce and ferocious. You have said that you would love to relearn the two-handed backhand that Danielle has because it's just so incredible. I've never had a two-handed backhand. I'd like to learn <laughs> after watching her. Oh, I thought you had a two-handed backhand no. when you were, lived in Korea. I had a two-handed forehand. Oh, hold on. Sorry. Just pause from Australian Open for a second. <laughs> you had a two-handed forehand and a one-handed backhand? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's different. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> going back to Danielle... Um, I just felt like, and sorry, just to, um, parlay a comment from the, uh, GLTA message board, someone mentioned that watching Barty was boring. Her game is boring. What Mm. matches, babe, what matches are you watching? Like, (laughs) look at all the variety that Mm. she has. And just going back to the final, it's because of that variety that, it made it difficult for Danielle to kind of wail on every ball 
which mm-hmm. when you give her the same ball, Danielle can crush you. Yeah. So yeah, I think what people find boring uh, is not. I mean, you can't discount the variety that she has, but she doesn't bring the intensity in the, mat- <laughs> in the matches. In that she doesn't sort of invite mm. the crowd into mm. her matches. Mm. I think, and I have compared her game rightly or wrongly in a small way to Federer in terms of like just the sort of beauty and grace of her game. I don't think she floats in the same way around the court as a Federer does, but I think mm. on the women's side, she is the closest example to his game. Agreed. I think. Yeah. And just in terms of the ease in which she can pick her spots and uses a slice and then, you know, pounds that forehand and yeah. Hello, Steffi Graf. I mean, okay. Although they hit their backhands and forehands differently. And obviously Steffi never had a two handed backhand and Steffi should have come to the net more, but never did. But Barty obviously does. I mean, Barty's game is built around that, you know, backhand slice to kind of neutralize the ball you know, keep herself in the point. And then she just finds that opening with that. Incre- I think Barty's forehand is incredible, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and she just like, she did that to Danielle over and over again in that final. Yeah. And her serve is one of the best in the women's game. Oh, right now, even though she's like five foot eight or seven or whatever. Gorge, just yeah. gorge, right? Like that, that top spin serve out wide, that slice serve down the tee. It's just so so smooth Mm -hmm. like butter (laughs) like butter what did you think of her reaction after Uh, hitting that forehand winner past danielle honestly i thought finally going to your point about like not her not inviting people into the match and yeah i guess i guess that's her kind of method for maintaining focus but I just loved that she let her emotions take control for that moment because, girl, you're on your home soil. There are all the Australian crowd is there for you, you know, cheering you on. And for her to let out that primal scream was like just so gratifying to me. Like, I just Mm -hmm. I feel like that she has that inner tiger that she just is like controlling the whole time. Like she's a beast. And she finally let that fucking beast out at the end. Yeah. What do you think (laughs) of that GLTA message board? (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was cool. Obviously, it's a big release to have obviously won that point and have that pressure of winning your home slam and the crowd being fully behind you and the expectation to have that be released is uh, probably a great moment. So, yeah. So, okay, wait. That takes her to how many slams? Does she have three? Two? She has three. Three? Yeah. Wow. And and one on every surface. Wimbledon, French. Yeah. Australia. She needs she needs that U.S. Open. Yeah. For the she, she will have many she will have many many more slams. I think. If she keeps playing and she doesn't go back to cricket. <laughs> I, I Honestly, and this is the perfect segue to what I think is a pretty dominant theme on the women's side, 
If you take a look at the women that did well at this tournament, Madison Keys, who last year tested positive for COVID and had to sit out the Australian Open Asian swing. Um, Barty herself, who, <laughs> you know, this time last year, while everyone was like busy, just kind of sweating on the court and grinding, she was just like on the cricket lawn <laughs> and <laughs> taking photos. I think it's with her niece, with her niece or, or nephew. Yeah. Yeah. Golfing she, with her boyfriend. Golfing with her. Golf. Yeah, exactly. Just like chilling. Um, the, Anisimova who has a different lifestyle, was with her girlfriends, you know, bling bling, you know, nice Gucci bag outfit, like turns <laughs> up, but like also took a break from tennis. Um, I think there is something to be said about taking a mental break so that you can come back fresh and then you can come back to do your absolute best. And those to me were the three players that just proved that taking a little bit of a break for yourself can do wonders for your game on the court. Yeah. Keys, particularly, I think mm. it was helpful, but it was also a mind shift for her in terms of being more relaxed, not worrying about. She talked a lot about worrying about the impacts of losing on her ranking. Mm. And, you know, when she was able to sort of compartmentalize and say, I don't really need to think about that, she was playing more free. You could just tell she would just the way she was hitting hitting the ball, hitting her forehand, particularly in that match against Badosa where she, it, like, trounced her. <laughs> I honestly, I think that's one of my favorite comments that you shared on our show because I don't think that you could have said a more true statement. Her energy was definitely way more free and just, like, way, like you look at Madison Key's forehand, her forehand is one of the best on the women's tour, but only effective if she is kind of free and not thinking about it. And she just did that all the way to the semis. Didn't she make mm-hmm. the semis? She did make the semis, yeah. Who did she, she lose lost to? to Barty. Barty, Barty, Barty. Yeah. 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 Maybe she watched over and over her final with Sloane Stevens at the US Open. It was like <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I honestly Madison is such a supporter of our LGBTQIA plus community that I just really wish that she I mean I think this is a positive step in the right direction for her yeah you know agreed what what do you want to what else do you want to say about anisimova did you end up having a chance to see the highlights of the naomi match so i talked about this last week um or in the last episode and i was like that match was like just bludgeoning the ball (laughs) yes i mean not much has to be said other than it was a bludgeon bloodbath and also, girl, the fact that you show up with that black mascara to the court, like you're pulling a Yankovic, you know, you're doing a full <laughs> face, a full beat on your face because, you know, the cameras are on you. But I love that about you. Um, I want to I don't know how you feel about her, but when I watch her game, I don't really know why she does so well. There's nothing particularly amazing about her game that makes me say, oh, you know, she's someone that could be in the top 10. But there's just something, there's an energy about her um, that I really am attracted to. And I just think that she took the ball early this tournament, just like Madison Keys was more relaxed, seemed to like not have a lot of pressure on her shoulders. And, you know, that third set tiebreak against a former two-time Australian Open champion could kind of make you be more tight 
in the tie mm-hmm. break, but she played just as free as she did. So kudos to that to that girl. Yeah, and she channeled her inner Radwanska. In <laughs> yes, yes. She has this strange ability to redirect the ball really well. Yes, I love that you said that. Like, just like knees to the court, <laughs> just <laughs> just like redirect into the open court. It's just so For cute. For a winner. For a winner. Yeah, and she is coached now by Darren Cahill. Ooh, listen, Darren Cahill is the guy that will work on your mind. He's the one that helped Halep get those couple of grand slams that she so deserves. So here's hoping that Darren can do the same for Amanda. Mm. I do have a question for you um, because I kind of feel nervous that we're going to wrap up the women's side, but I feel like we have to talk about her. Um, Radu Canu. Mm. <laughs> what are Radu, your, what are, <laughs> Radu can't do. <laughs> Right now. What do you what what are your just thoughts? I just want to hear you riff on her. I feel like there's a lot of pressure for her right, <laughs> at the moment. You know what? I don't know. I talked a little bit about this last week at the end of the show. I think there's a lot of she's one of those players who can get sucked into the off court opportunities. Girl preach. Go ahead. <laughs> She's still very young. Mm. What what occurred for her at the U.S. Open happened very fast. And mm. what I talked about last week was some of the quick decisions that she made post that um, that win. Releasing her coach <laughs> was one of them. It's like. <laughs> Hmm. I was with him and he and won ten matches, and now I'm going to turf him because he doesn't have a lot of experience. It's like what? <laughs> um, and you know she's got a lot of deals. She's being invi- invited to a lot of things, so you can't forget about what brought you to the dance. Yeah, and bitch, do you not know who Naomi Osaka is? <laughs> like, like this this girl, this woman, essentially. She 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 fought, she kind of like did that exam, exact same path that you did, and Naomi's been very vocal about not, you know, about taking time off for your own mental health. So mm. you have a person right there to emulate in terms of how young you are and how you should kind of like um, progress if you found success very early on in your career. And she's just like, no thanks, give me that Dior sponsorship. <laughs> like yeah. okay yeah i think it's interest. it would be interesting to know like who latches on to her who tries to build a relationship with her and how she gets influenced in those moments like we're never going to know all of those people who try to tap tap onto the raducanu train mm. but yeah i mean we obviously know that she's a great player when she's playing well she's fearless caused her to win 10 matches in a row and a grand slam so hopefully she can bounce back but you know losing the way she did in sydney against rabakana yeah and you know she had a little bit of a i think i don't know what the term is but she beat sloan which was a match that people look forward to she won that first set i think six love mm. so <laughs> I mean, just 
talking about energy, we referenced Madison, we referenced Amanda. It was clear that the energy emulating through the TV screen was one of just like, you know what? I'm just going to hit that ball. I don't know whether you felt the same thing, but whenever, but post US Open, every match that I've watched of Emma looks like she is so t- she's so tight and has so much pressure to perform. So mm. someone get her Darren Cahill, someone get her a good psychologist to just chill the f out, girl. You are a teenager. You're young. Just just do your thing. You mm. know, just do your thing. She was pretty free-flowing in that first set against Sloan. I, <laughs> <laughs> I did see that. But, you know, to your point, maybe she should hire that U.S. Open coach back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. We have covered the ladies. Congrats mm. to Ash winning the slam on home turf. Well-liked, obviously, by many, many players. All of the Twitterverse and all of the players on the Twitter were complimenting her and congratulating her, which was very nice. Yes. Did you want to say anything about, I, f- I feel like it would be a missed opportunity to not let you talk about Alize Cornet. Oh, um, <laughs> Alize, are, are you referencing her like emotional post-match speech that she that she the had? post-match speech, the beating of Halep, how lovely Halep was, even in defeat. And, yeah. Listen, Alizé is a girl that is, I feel like she's a giant killer in on the women's tour. That year that she beat Serena at Wimbledon, I think she beat her twice that year. In, in a year where Serena should not have been beaten by anyone, but Alizé meant, but Alizé was the one to do it, is an incredible feat in and of itself. Um, her beating of Halep, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I love an Alizé moment. I was so happy that she went the farthest that she's ever been at a Grand Slam. Fourth round, is it? Uh, yeah, she had, uh, well, it was quarterfinals. Quarterfinal, which yeah. is astounding to me considering her caliber of player. And she's been on the tour for something like almost two decades, which is insane. This- yeah, right? this was her sixty third straight or sixty third consecutive Grand Slam appearance. Yeah, I mean, you go Alize, and who cares what Sarah Arani said at the Toronto tournament? You say Ale, you say Vamos, <laughs> or you say whatever you want. <laughs> exactly, she's was very nice. Uh, obviously, in defeating, she beat Mugu. She beat Zadancic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and then beat halepe halepe okay i'm sorry i'm just gonna grab the reins for a sec because i am i think what i've been looking most forward to in my absence is getting the chance to introduce you and your thoughts on the men's draw because mm-hmm. listen yes Jason does his due diligence, is very keen on women's tennis, but let's just call a spade a spade. He is a true (laughs) men's tennis ATP follower at heart. I was just wondering, wondering is an understatement. I was like insanely curious to know what your every thought, every nook and cranny (laughs) of your of your of your brain as the men's draw developed, like I just want to know what you thought about the Canadians. I want I want to know what you thought about 
you know, Medvedev and Nadal, for whatever reason, I feel like you have latched on to Medvedev as your kind of torchbearer for the new guard. So to <laughs> just to give just to give everyone a bit of context, Saturday no, Sunday morning, I was walking Bruno. It was early Sunday morning. I know Jason well enough to know that this bitch did not fucking stay up to watch the sh- to watch the the final. He recorded <laughs> that shit. <laughs> so I texted her and I was like, "Girl, are you nervous? What is going on? Tell me how you're feeling." Radio silence, literally radio silence for hours. I'm like, I'm driving myself nuts because I want to know how you feel about it. Like, okay, so just just give us verbal diarrhea. What is going on? How do you feel? Men's side, go. So, hearkening back to last week's episode, <laughs> I explained to our listeners my my path to watching the tennis and how I would watch a little bit in the evening and then get up, you know, pseudo early, like 6, 5.45, 6, and start watching. The men's final started at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> on, <laughs> on Sunday morning, so I'm not getting up that early, even though, you know, it's a match everybody wanted to see. So I got up at 630 mm. and I was a little bit less sort of need to fast forward through or in between points. I was like, I want to listen to the commentary, got the ESPN feed. It's Johnny Mac and Patrick Mac and um, the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was a little bit um, less, you know, needing to sort of catch up to the live. And so the match had probably been over for two hours by the time I got to the end of the match. And uh, yeah, I was, I thought um, once Daniil won that second set, I thought he's, he's done it again. He's thwarted another of the big three from winning their 21st Grand Slam. (laughs) And okay. So are you at this point, Second set is over. Are you happy? Are you like, yay, Daniil? Are you like, oh, Rafa, you could win 21? I just, I am curious because I think that you obviously have, as a extremely knowledgeable tennis fanatic, an appreciation, a respect for Rafa as, you know, among the legends of our sport. But I don't know whether you have, like, a love for him. I don't whether I don't know whether you love him that much that you're like, girl, you can come back. <laughs> you're asking me to draw the line to to put my line in the sand right now. I'm not. And... No, I... <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Full disclosure, as it was getting deep into the the fourth set and the fifth set, I wanted Daniil to win. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I wanted. Daniil to win. I was feeling him. I, yeah. I it it became apparent who my my favorite player was. Okay. <laughs> in this particular oh. <laughs> in this particular match. I mean, lest we forget that outside of the fact that no, okay. Let me let me reintroduce that kind of thought. Jason loves Daniil and his style of play. I think it's very clear that. You know, since he started kind of climbing up the ranks, funny enough, two years ago when we started the podcast, he really wasn't a conversation in terms of like going deep into a grand slam. But then we evolved this whole theme of the new guard, he being kind of at the helm of that. And, you know, lest we forget that Jason 
showed up at the Toronto tournament with that sign. You know, what was this? I can't even remember what the sign said. Uh, uh, give me more Daniil in my life. Give me more Daniil in my life. And from that point point forward, there has been a special connection and relationship that you obviously developed with your with this player. And so I think that that's important context for all of our listeners to know, our new mm-hmm. listeners to know, that Jason and Daniil are essentially lovers, best friends, <laughs> hitting partners, whatever you want to call them. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that you were really pulling for him in the fourth yeah. and fifth set. Yeah, it 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 looked clear to me that he was going to win. Rafa, I mean, how could... even even as he was fighting through the third set and the fourth set, he looked a bit worn out. <laughs> he looked shaken. Like he wasn't hitting his ground strokes with the same sort of energy of a player that you know is sort of nearing the finish line of, of winning. Like he was mm. down two sets. So it just but slowly he was working his way back into the match. Mm. Daniil was making some poor decisions. Yeah. Particularly with the drop shot. Like I didn't even oh my know God. what the hell was going oh on with my God. drop shots. <laughs> Girl, Kate spent a couple minutes talking about that. What, what was, the, what was the tactic there? <laughs> I, I don't understand why there were so many drop shots played <laughs> in that final. So I think, what I noticed was happening was Nadal was actually realizing that he needed to try a different tactic. So he was mm-hmm. actually deploying the drop shot and, you know, typically he was trying to move Medvedev around and Medvedev gets to everything, but he would throw in a drop shot here or there and it was working and it was working consistently. Mm. And that was, I think causing Daniil to maybe panic a little bit going up two sets to love. And he was trying to throw in his own drop shots and they were not good. <laughs> I was so perplexed. This is not Roland Garros. Why are people throwing in so many drop shots? It's just, <laughs> just a tactic that like really amazed me. Yeah. For Nadal, it worked because he was hitting them well. Hmm. Daniil would get to them, but Nadal covered at the net. Daniil was also struggling as he was, you know, getting closer to the victory with holding serve. He was holding really easily earlier Mm. on in the match than he did in the latter stages. So, yeah, it was, I don't know, Felix took <laughs> you know he he pulled a felix felix was up two sets to love daniel came back that match was amazing as well yeah and then uh daniel goes up two sets to love and rafa pulls the comeback of all comebacks for his career listen you know uh, it's uh, uh, a few people messaged us on our dm on IG uh, during the when, match when I was avoiding it like the plague during the match when we knew who the finalists were going to be um you know I posted a reel asking people are you happy is everyone happy now is everyone happy with this final with this <laughs> right. final Medvedev um Nadal I mean it, minus Djokovic I don't think that anyone could have asked for a better final to be honest yeah. um and uh I, 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 I sincerely asked, what did people think 
was going to be the outcome. And there was a few people, literally a few people that were like, I think I posted a poll and Medvedev did not get as many votes to win the final as Rafa did, even though in every respect, Rafa should not have won this final. Correct. And up at, Right. And after the <laughs> and after the two sets, everyone was proving sorry, Medvedev was proving us right. But like I said, on the real, either Rafa is made of magic or he made a deal with the devil. And uh, you know, something has to be said about that champion's quality. Serena had it, Federer has it, Steffi has it, Monica has it, any legend of the sport just has this gear that they're able to access and they're able to have the self-belief that allows them to come back from even the deepest <laughs> of um what's the word i'm looking for of holes, holes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, you, you know what i mean so mm-hmm. it is it a surprise to me that rafa won it's it's a yes and no for me because mm-hmm. i know that rafa has that magic but in every respect, I, you know what, now that we're talking about it and now that we have heard Daniel's feelings in that post-match interview, which, you know, I'm sure we're going to cover, it does make me a bit sad that Daniel didn't win that second Grand Slam title, you know? Yeah. A bit sad. Makes me sad. Yeah. And I think to Rafa's credit, he has had challenges at this particular grand slam mm-hmm. you 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 know we know him to be the master of the clay he's won 13 times at <laughs> roland garros won four times at the u.s open but wimbledon and australia have been ones that he hasn't um done as well i think at in australia specifically he just hasn't had very good luck for some reason he's struggled with injuries at the beginning of seasons and maybe that's resulting from you know just the the length of the seasons and not being able to recover in time because you know tennis seasons are they end and then (laughs) soon after they started (laughs) but you know um he won in 2009 Mm. i i did a little rap sheet on his australian open and actually tennis tv on the on their instagram did a really good sort of um, slide graphic of his experience in in the Australian Open after two thousand nine. So, mm. ten and eleven, he he went out in the quarterfinals and was injured. Twenty twelve was obviously the considered one of the greatest finals ever. Five uh-huh. hours fifty three minutes. With <laughs> Novak, he was up four two in that set in the the deciding set. Um, was injured in twenty thirteen. Made the final in twenty fourteen, but was injured and lost to Stan. Um, 2017, he lost to Federer in the final. <laughs> I remember watching that match uh, in Cape Town when I was on vacation. Uh, I was at the Australian Open in 2018 and saw his match when he withdrew against Chilich in the quarterfinals. Mm. Um, got destroyed in 2019 in the final against Djokovic and then yeah. lost in the quarterfinals um, the last two years. Last year to Pass when he was up two sets to love. So he's definitely had chances dealt with lots of injuries is coming back from an injury um Mm. to his foot which you know for a guy who plays the way he does and scrambles and fights for every point you kind of need your feet 
(laughs) (laughs) So to, you know, have come back from two sets of love against somebody like Daniil who gets every freaking ball back. Yeah. That's like a monumental achievement. And we won't discount that even though perhaps he would have lost to Novak if Novak was in the draw. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That was a smooth uh, insertion. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what Novak or sorry, uh, what Rafa fans would think of, of that. And if they have any sort of, Oh, I can tell you already. (laughs) You can. Okay. Go. (laughs) I mean, every, listen, I, I feel I, I feel that our followers, our listeners, there is a uh, there is a large proportion that are Rafa fans, oh, only because they're the ones that kind of messages message us and DM us and are so excited. They don't necessarily say, "Hey, I'm a Rafa fan," but they always have like you know the fire emoji or like the thumbs up emoji. They're just like there's a lot of people out there that are that love him. Mm-hmm. Side note: there are a lot of people out there that hate Joko and are not afraid to let us know on our IG and all of our social media platforms that they hate him. Yeah, fine. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> shocking. Um. I and that's the reason why I posted that reel on our IG because it funny enough today as you know I was just perusing on the internet about tennis articles ESPN just released an article saying is the goat debate reignited you know cuz that's the exact reel that we posted a couple of days ago post Australian Open final Rafa is now in the lead, 21 Grand Slam titles. Do we have to have this conversation again about who is the best in in tennis? And uh, I mean, I think it, I think we do have to talk about that again. You yeah. know, um, Rafa fans will say that he is now, <laughs> point, period, point blank, Rafa is now the GOAT, period, point blank. That's what Rafa fans will say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and... <laughs> if anything, it's good for tennis because it allows that debate to continue, even though you and I aren't the biggest fans of, of continuing it. We tried to put an end to it by saying Novak was the GOAT. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I Okay, so can we talk a little bit about the post-match, post-final yeah. press conference? Did you want to talk about the story of a little boy? <laughs> Who dreamed of playing tennis? I, I do. A young kid <laughs> who dreamed about big things in tennis. Seeing <laughs> the big stars playing. Fans supporting them. You dream about being there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing a little bit of a dramatic monologue of, of <laughs> the things that Medvedev shared because he wanted to tell a story to the press post his loss. Uh, you know who I feel sorry for in that situation? The journalist that had the first question to him. <laughs> because, I mean, the journalist asked a pretty regular question. He was like, hey, Novak, would uh, Novak, Medvedev, <laughs> Daniel, would you have done anything differently in that final? <laughs> and then Medvedev was just like, no, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> like, his question was completely ignored. Um, 
do you did you did that make you feel sad for him <laughs> first of all was that a freudian slip are you comparing novak to daniel <laughs> they are kind of in the same category in that they are hated i guess in the same way when they're in matches with i mean novak is part of the big three but daniel is not and he had it obviously a different reaction in his match with Nadal. He played Tsitsi in the semifinals. Australia is one of the largest Greek communities. Mm. Um, I don't know that he was necessarily the fan favorite in the match against Felix. So he always <laughs> goes in being somebody who's not really. Uh, liked and he embraces that in a way he embraces sort of the villain persona so I'm a little bit torn on this I definitely feel for him in terms of the way the fans react during his matches the way they react and sort of shout out during his serve or cheer when he makes a double fault and (laughs) sort of sarcastically like claps or like signals to the crowd like oh thanks you know of course yeah let's let's clap for my (laughs) double fault so I feel for him a little bit and obviously he was feeling himself and he prepared for what he was going to say after the match I mean if you watch the the trophy presentation he was not into it i think he mouthed the words boring a couple of times when <laughs> the tennis australia representative woman was was talking and talking about how he had tenacity and grit and today was not his day <laughs> you know and i think that's the perfect for me before hearing what he had to say in the post match interview i mean that image of him mouthing the words boring to me that's the kind of energy that is like personally a trigger for me and it's a i'm sure it's a trigger for a lot of tennis fans around the world you know he doesn't have the most warm and inviting personality and i mean not to say that everyone has to have the most warm and inviting personality that's just who he is right Mm -hmm. but you know given the opportunity to explain who he was as a kid and how, you know, he had these dreams as a kid and how they've been kind of (laughs) quashed and how he feels like he's been mistreated by a lot of the public in the tournaments that he has um, participated in. I I think even in this post-match interview, he said, like, you know, if there's a Grand Slam, but there's a tournament in Moscow or in Russia, I'm going to go to that tournament. I'm going to miss the grand slam like because he feels beloved there yeah okay i I get i get that everyone wants to be acknowledged everyone wants to be recognized but his his on-court demeanor is for me honestly it's just a bit off-putting so it's hard to root for someone that has just such a hard exterior we said this about who did we say this about last year the robot Pliskova. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you kind of are real and when you invite people in and you kind of share your hurt and your you know your pain it makes you more human and i i'm so glad that he did share that story in his post match interview because it makes it makes me think of him differently now 
Yeah. You know, like I just was r- railing on him. I'm like, girl, stop ragging on CC Pass's <laughs> dad. Like that's an old story. You know, you basically you basically called the referee. He said you're a small cat. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a small, uh, not a small, like a <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's a, not a big cat. <laughs> like a, <laughs> You like a like you know you don't know you don't know no I don't know the reference I think he was trying to refer to the referee as a pussy oh really (laughs) (laughs) but he got his analogy wrong (laughs) anyway he just doesn't seem to ingratiate himself very often but I'm glad that he had that opportunity in the post match um, press conference to do so because it does now make me look at him in a different light he's not so hard. He's mm-hmm. got feelings. He got she- feeling, y'all. <laughs> I think people are trying to figure it, him out. Fans are trying to figure him out. You're right. He's not ingratiating himself. He mm. can be endearing in a way. But then he has those moments where he, you know, eggs on the crowd who are clapping for his double faults because, of course, they're going to be cheering for Rafa more. Rafa's trying to make history. He's the Mm. one trying to stop that history. But yeah, I think he's a bit of a work in progress. He needs to, I think there are ways for him to get the the crowd on his side. He's proved that at the US Open, you know, when the second round he was like, I, you know, you booing me gives me energy and (laughs) <laughs> they continued to boo him and then he made the final against Nadal and he sort of won them over partially I think because the New York crowd wanted more tennis and yeah. then because he gave it to them and I think yeah there is a soft softness that he can have but he needs to try and remove all of those mm. things that can be distracting he needs to try to remove those behaviors when he's starting to lose or come down and yeah. um, not talk bad about a player who he, <laughs> like um, Maxime Cressy. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Thank you. Like that, that whole thing. Like nobody <clears throat> likes that. Don't talk, don't talk bad about a player when you can't figure them out. Like that's what Sitsipas did against you when he said he, your game is boring, even though <laughs> his record is, you know, two and seven against you. Yeah. I listen, I was feeling a ways about Daniil and the fact that he made the final. I was happy that he did, but again, not a lot there to latch on to. I was all about Rafa, all about him getting the 21st Grand Slam title. Um, I didn't really care about Djokovic, to be honest with you. Um, I d- see. I'm not. That's a thing. We've talked about this. On, we've talked about this on the show before. I don't. I'm not so attached to any one of the big three to be like, okay, I want this person to take the lead. Is it a pleasant surprise that Rafa is now at 21? Yes, and I just makes. I just think that it makes the discussion about the GOAT more interesting, which I think is excellent for tennis. And, um, yeah, it just, you know, it just makes things really more, much more spicy for the French Open mm-hmm. in a couple yeah. months. Yeah, and, you know, we don't 
need to talk about Djokovic today because <laughs> there'll be much more time to talk about him because we'll be like checking his vaccine passport every <laughs> every tournament that pops up. I think he's playing Dubai. Okay. Potentially. <laughs> Do they so. Did he have a medical exemption there? <laughs> I don't think they require a vaccine for you to enter Dubai. So gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. He's gotta keep that ranking up because Daniil is on his tail. Uh, you, you mean in the ranking points? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Rafa is at yeah. 21. That's great. Rafa's at 21. There is a player that we should talk about before we go who's mm. only at one, but he's making his comeback. And you shared this on our IG stories. Oh, I know. I know. Did I? Jason was going to be hyperventilating. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about Chilich. Oh, click, click. No, I talked about him last week. See, that's another. He had, that's, his, he had his chances. That's sure. another guy. I feel like in your repertoire of players that you're just obsessed with. No, I'm um, obsessed. I'm I'm happy to sort of see him have a little bit of resurgence, and who knows if this like the tail end of his career, but to be mm. playing well, and I thought he was actually. I thought the match with um, Felix would be a bit closer, but. Mm. Yeah, uh, you're talking about your tennis husband. Mm-hmm. Del Potro is playing <laughs> two tournaments in the next two weeks. Cordoba and the other and, South American one, uh, <laughs> Rio. Uh, Rio. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did not know that was not even on my radar. I didn't know where he was in his um, road to recovery. But the moment that I saw that posted, I was like, oh, my God, Jason is probably hyperventilating. And funny enough, see, like, you know, we just coming off the conversation about Medvedev's behavior, um, attitude on the court. Juan Martin is a guy that every literally everyone can get behind. Do you know how many people DM'd us and we're just like, yes, can't wait for Juan Martin to, like, get back onto the courts. I'm like, Jason is not the only super fan. Yeah. Just so everybody knows who's listening, I will be hella scared watching his matches because I will be constantly worried that he's going to injure himself. <laughs> Do you think that he's going to be like the Andy Murray of 2021? <laughs> I, I don't know. This is like his fourth or tenth comeback, so <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, I'll have uh, a running dialogue with Jonathan Scott about this one. <laughs> I, I think that it's... an a very interesting time in men's tennis because you have the new guard of players. We all know who they are. Berrettini has now reached a career high ranking of number six. Yep. Medvedev made the final. CC pass made the semi. His dad's still on the fucking phone texting him at <laughs> fucking every point of the match. <laughs> um, and then you have like, you know, just the new guard Sorry, the old guard, and then you have this like this these weird melange of players that have won one slam, a couple of slams, Vavrinka, Del Potro, Murray that are in the mix that are like, don't forget about us, girl. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be very interesting. Obviously, love that he's coming back and giving it one more run. He's been off for like three years. Mm pretty much again which is sort of the length of most of his breaks unfortunately like the wrist injury and now the knee injury so i'm yeah. telling you i'm telling you right now if he is stays healthy into the hard court summer swing and um makes tries um uh 
puts himself into the draw in Montreal, <laughs> you know where we're going to be. Yeah, we're going to be making them signs. <laughs> I, I have those sticker letters right here <laughs> under my desk for us to make a Delpo sign. I, I just think need we... a D to the E to the L to the Po. <laughs> I think I think we can elevate our signs. <laughs> what do you mean? I like the dollar store stickers. <laughs> Give me more this... Delpo in my life. Babe, you know what? Don't piss off Daniel. He'll be like, well, what about me? <laughs> he's gonna remember bitch, he's gonna remember you. If Medvedev is there, he's gonna remember you and he's gonna be like, I thought you were all about me. Like, so you have I mean, I don't know, maybe you have to choose. It'll, I mean, if, if I change, what I'm hearing you say is if I change my sign, we're going to hear another story in the press room about the boy's dream dying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because Jason didn't make a sign for him. He made a sign for Delpo. When I, when I went to the Toronto tournament, Jason made me a <laughs> sign and, tournament, and I won the US <laughs> Open. And this year... He changed his mind. <laughs> I'm going back to my wife full time. <laughs> um, well, I think that's it. Oh, that was fun. I know. We should do another hour next week. <laughs> <laughs> Which we will. <laughs> yeah, we will. Because it's a weekly show. All right. Well, uh, I'm glad you're back. Uh, I tried to do it alone. I did my best. You did, listen, clap, clap. Everyone send your heartfelt congratulations. Jason held down the fort. He did an amazing job. I'm happy to be back. Uh, not a lot going on <laughs> on either tour this week, which is good news because mm. we needed a moment to take a breath. But uh, next week should be really exciting. Yeah, and if you want to give us something else other than a clap clap, you can visit our Patreon page at <laughs> patreon.com slash tennis, and you can support the show or you can buy us some, no, not buy us some merch, buy some <laughs> merch from us for you. Yeah, do you like Ready Play? And if you do, you can drink coffee in a Ready Play mug, you can wear a Ready Play tennis t-shirt, a hoodie. Yeah, and like uh, such as... <laughs> Okay, we'll see you next week. Bye, Australian Open. Bye-bye. <laughs> We're here for your tennis-tainment or your tentertainment or whatever it is. But if you like what we're serving up, please give us a five-star review and like, share, and subscribe and like such as. Wait, one more thing. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Ready Play Tennis Podcast.